This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the quarter pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to episode 252 of the Stacey West podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Gary and joining me... Joining me this week is Mr. Pina Colada himself, Chris Lamming. How are you doing? Oh, I didn't know anything about that, by the way. That was fantastic. I'm very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Uh, had a an, uh, the first week, first Sunday morning of the of the Sunday League season without a game scheduled. We've had one one called off on the day, but it's the first time we didn't have anything scheduled. And I have a, such a relaxing, lovely Sunday morning. Still a little bit in recovery mode from Thursday night at our gig, to be honest, and my double Pina Colada that Dave bought me. Um, you like <laughs> fantastic how are you <laughs> very smug i'm guessing You're very pleased yeah, with yourself I, I did prep that i literally like i was waiting for you said oh i'm gonna be two minutes and i'm thinking do you know what i'm gonna do in those two minutes i'm gonna clip up the pina colada song <laughs> um so for people who don't know we uh, we went to watch a band on Thursday night, myself, Chris, and our friend Dave, a band called Blackwater County. We were very, very good. Um, we went to the rescue rooms in Nottingham, and we went for a bite to eat beforehand, a pub near Nottingham Castle. It was great. And then we went into um, Slug and Lettuce because Chris said, well, we don't want to go in Slug and Lettuce because if we do, you'll see me drinking pina coladas out of a coconut shell, which was exactly the sort of thing that I wanted to see. Um, so we went in and he didn't get pina colada out of the shell. Yeah, he got them in a glass, but there's a two for one in there. And I don't know if anyone else has ever been caught out with two for one cocktails in slug and lettuce. Uh, but what it means is that you buy you have to buy two of the same cocktail. So you have to buy, for instance, two pina coladas. Um, and Chris and Dave went for pina colada and a woo woo. Um, I went for a, a famous uh, cocktail called Beer Moretti, which was great. It comes in a pint glass. Uh, it was fantastic. But they then got two woo-woos and two pina coladas. Um, and then Chris got a little bit drunk off it, didn't you? I didn't feel very well for an hour or so after that. 
Uh, we drank them pretty quickly. I drank two pina coladas in the time that it took you to drink one beer, which and not that's not saying that you drink. Which is quick. It's <laughs> pretty regular, so maybe half an hour or so. Yeah, I felt a little ropey for an hour or so. That soon perked up afterwards, of course. But yeah, that next yeah. hour, my tummy was a little bit unsettled, shall we say. Yes, it was. And we won't go into too much details, but there was an unfortunate incident with a barman, wasn't there as well, which um, we'll, uh, we'll kind of leave. If anybody wants to know the story, they will have to see Chris outside of the podcast. Um, but there was a little bit of a, a misunderstanding, wasn't there, Chris? No comment. <laughs> there was some crossed wires. It was a little unfortunate. But yes, a good night was had by all. Indeed. Indeed. That we can say. So, <laughs> um, Could we say the same about the football? Well, if you were to go on the bin fire that is social media last night, you would be forgiven for forgetting um, that we are ninth in League One and we have lost one league game in five because it was there was quite a lot of vitriol. I'm not calling out individual fans. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. We're not the opinion police, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was quite a lot of vitriol around the game, uh, around the game, our game against Port Vale. Um, there was a lot of criticism and a lot of anger, anger that was echoed at half time of the football when my dad came up um, and said to me, I've just seen Chris and I thought he was going to kick the urinal off the wall. That's um, <laughs> why he said you were so angry, apparently. Um Shall we go back to the start and, and, and pick it apart? Because actually it's a 1-1 draw with what I feel is an awful lot to unpack and discuss. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot to talk about. Just, just touching on the reaction, because like you said, if you'd, if you'd read Twitter and nothing else, then you'd have thought, you know, we'd, we'd been beaten 6-0 at home. Whereas, you know, what if, if you was in the in the ground full time, it felt really a real positive atmosphere. You know, we've got something out of a game that we I, I personally felt we deserved with the second half. Um, so it's weird, isn't it, how sometimes reality can be skewed a little bit depending on where your sources are. But it, it was it baffled me a little bit because you normally get a little bit of kind of recency bias, don't you? Kind of if you'd had a good second half and a poor first half, you're normally reflecting on oh how good the second half was, don't you? And if you had a good first half and a poor second half, you often think oh we played poorly today. Whereas actually maybe it was just the, the, a poor half an hour. So it was a bit weird to be honest. The fact that there was there was quite so much negativity online after. A reasonably positive second half, certainly a much much improved uh, second half compared to the first. I wasn't particularly happy at half time, as your dad said. Uh, I think he may be exaggerating a, a tad in regards to my reaction. I've seen you on the touchline, so I'm not having that. Uh, oh, well, I'm a very different person when I'm involved. But yeah, um, yeah, it, I wasn't happy at half time. I thought I thought yeah. there's there a lot of things wrong. We're going to talk about it in a bit, of course. Um, but second half, I thought we we did everything we could. To be honest, everything, every tool that we had available to us, I thought we we used to be honest and we got what we deserved it's interesting what you say about recent uh, recency bias because i also think that there's there's also like a, a situational anger that you can see coming um and everybody knows what the situation is and then you arrive at a certain point in time and there's an anger that you've kind of acknowledged was coming anyway and i'm talking about things like the head coach where that we knew we weren't going to get a manager in before the port vale game at the beginning of this week and people who listen to the podcast would have heard that you and I probably didn't think we were going to get one in by this game three weeks ago. We said Notts County, Morecambe, there's a nice break. So we knew it was going to happen and yet we get here and it's, I can't believe it's dragging on this long. Whereas actually it was acknowledged you know, perfectly openly that it was dragging on this long a week ago, three weeks ago. The striker situation 
is another one where we, we, we've obviously, I go on about it all the time, Ben House out, Tyler Walker out, Danny Mandroyo has been in and out, Rico Hackett injured, and, and we're kind of going, well, if we can just get through to November and we can just stay tagged in here. And then we get through to November and we're tagged in here and it's, oh, we're not tacking well enough. It's almost like things that have been said at one point in time, three or four weeks down the line, then get completely forgotten, in my opinion. But anyway, we're kind of straying off course six minutes into a podcast where we haven't spoken about what we are here to talk about. And that's the game against Port Vale. So team selection. We didn't. We weren't together for the uh, for the, uh, the team selection. Um, so we don't know what each other's response was. My first response was, oh, right. Because in my mind, from Tuesday night, got Jack Vale playing 60 minutes, so he's ready for 90. You've got um, Dylan Duffy, absolutely outstanding, well well worth a start. I felt we'd go 3-4-3. Three, three. If you've got Duffy, you've got Vale, you've got Danny Mandroyu. It seemed to me like finally we were going to be able to put out an 11 of players playing in the position they should be playing in. And then it gets dropped and it's, oh, OK, we're doing that, are we? And that was my my kind of thought. And I felt it, it was a little bit of a, it felt like a strange team selection. It did a bit. Um, my initial thought was just interesting. Um, I was really pleased to see Duffy. He definitely deserved to be in the team after his performance yeah. on Tuesday night. He's clearly been waiting for his chance and he, he's taken it with both hands Obviously, outstanding performance Tuesday night. And then, obviously, he backed it up again yesterday with a really strong performance as well. Um, TJ starting surprised me, I have to admit. I know we maybe are lacking a little bit of structure back there at the moment and options if uh, Mitchell is, is injured. But I just, I don't know, I just, it just took it by surprise, to be honest. We haven't seen him start a league game for a while. And, and of course, Hacks starting up, up, up top surprised me. I thought we would go with Vale, definitely, instead of him. Um, or instead of Smith, I, I certainly thought we'd see Vale in the starting lineup, and I was disappointed that we didn't see Vale in the starting lineup. If I'm honest, and I think the first half performance—not not quite there yet—but the first half performance was possibly a bit of a consequence of maybe that that selection. But at the same time, and the people around me, because I was in the fan zone, and there was a, there was a handful of people who were chatting to us when the the team was announced, and same sort of reaction to you is this is certainly um, unexpected, but it did actually give us a much stronger bench than we've had for a long time, uh, which was kind of that mentality of, oh, well, OK, if, if, if it's not working 60 minutes in, we have actually finally got options off the bench and quality on the bench that can influence the game, which is a good point. You know, it's not something that I particularly thought of. You think of that starting 11, you want to start the game as well as you possibly can. Um, it's nice if you can have best of both worlds, you can have a strong 11 and a strong bench, but it's almost like that the bench had a couple of those players that you'd expect to be in the starting 11 more often than not, uh, of course, Mandroya and Vale being the being the big ones there. So yeah, it was certainly surprising. I think the Ioma shout was judging by the midweek comments from Tom Shaw. It sounded like there was two players who had been carrying Knox going into the uh, Knox County game, and it sounded to me like that maybe Bishop and Mandroya when there was one who was not well, which I suspected was then Mitchell. So I wonder if that was a little bit more of a. Well, TJ didn't do badly against Notts County. Nobody did particularly well, but nobody did particularly badly. There was just quite a lot of beige performances in there. I know you and I yeah. haven't spoken about it. It was Charlie and Ben, obviously. So, um, yeah, and I also, 
the Dylan Duffy situation, I think, is one that's really interesting. It's really kind of important to pick up on a little bit because we're going to talk about how good he was yesterday. Going into yesterday's game in, in league matches only, he had had 150 minutes, um, the longest of which was, I think, 29 minutes against Carlisle. 25 minutes against Portsmouth. Other than that, everything was under 20-minute cameos, many of them under 15-minute cameos. You can't get... It's good to see him coming on for 15 minutes, but he's never going to get into the game. And he's he's played up front or he's, you know, he's always that kind of, let's shuffle him around, let's see what he can do. So for him to play a total of 106 minutes yesterday, which is which is what the game was, it was a, it was a 106 minute game, which is a long old game, and to see him playing three different positions as well was, was pleasing because I thought he did really well. Not many players did particularly well in the first half. Now, you and I were talking off air, um, obviously, uh, about about the game. And we spoke a little bit in the pub last night as well. Um, and it felt like there was a perception that we were battered in the first half and that it could have been three or four. And if it had been three or four, that would have been remarkable um, because they only had three shots on target. So it would have, you know, for it to have been four would have been would have been quite something. Their XG, and I know somebody had a pop-up or mentioned to you, I think, on Twitter last night that football's not all about XG, Chris. Um, I did see that, you were, you were, you were told. Uh, but their XG was low. Um, Jensen did pull off a couple of saves prior to their goal. Good saves. But from chances where probably the effort that they got away was better than the quality of the chance, if that makes sense, in that they've tested the keeper from a position where, you know, five times out of 10 or seven times out of 10, that shot doesn't happen. So they were being a little bit more clinical with their XG. Um, so let's focus on them, first of all, rather than us. They didn't batter us, but they were the better side in the first half. I agree completely. Yeah, I agree completely. I thought they were they were much better on the ball than I expected them to be. They were quite neat and tidy. Um, I thought we were a little disjointed defensively, to be honest. At, at times, we we seemed to have quite big gaps between both vertically and kind of horizontally as well. You know, our width seemed just the spacings between players seemed a little bit off. Um, I think that was partly. I don't want to kind of just throw someone under the bus here, but I think that was. It's, it's just abundantly clear that Hakeem is not a centre forward. We're playing in the system that we have, and the amount of times that we were defending so deep uh, and our counter-attack we didn't have an option forward he was finding nice little pockets of space that's that's what he's good at but he wasn't the focal point and you just need someone to stretch them to, to create the space for us to play in and it, yeah I was really frustrated at half time not just because of hacks he was doing the job that he, he's clearly been told to do um, and, he, and he was kind of performing you know using the attributes that he has but it just really didn't suit us and I know we're talking about kind of Port Vale at the moment and our defensive shape but it does stem from the structure and the structure starts at the, at the top of the pitch and I felt we were just a little bit imbalanced which is no surprise we mentioned the, the striker situation and the forward players were missing a lot but actually we did have options to have a slightly more um, structured system and I felt in the first half and, and the team selection maybe didn't lend that but there's no denying Port Vale were good on the ball that like I said they were better than than I thought they were going to be there was two or three big chances that they created and and, and I do want to kind of big Jensen up a little bit because as like you say we weren't battered it's not like it was wave after wave after wave of attack and we were you know kind of throwing our bodies on the line but the chances they created were, were good chances they got very very good shots away and Jensen did really well and like you say it's very unlikely for more than one of those to go in particularly XG well, I think it's less than 0.5 wasn't it overall but he can be made some really good saves, and if they if he hadn't done, we could have been a couple of goals down, and then that, we're not getting back into it then. Um, 
so yeah, I think Jensen definitely deserves some credit. I also think Adam Jackson deserves some credit because he's a real calming influence yeah. on everybody. He's he's that unsung hero a little bit, isn't he? I think he's he's got better and better and better. Um Duffy, of course, was was bright in the first half, but not I don't think anyone else really particularly shone. And we did we did struggle at times in the first half. And that's credit to Port Vale. And it was probably a bit of a consequence of our team selection and and, and shape, but uh half time certainly helps i think yeah and i i think i mean tom, tom shaw calls it the top line doesn't he or, or, mm-hmm. or whatever and we didn't have one that, that that's as simple in my mind we, we didn't have a coherent top line um and when you're playing that that kind of let's say five across the back or three across the back however you however you want to put it but that top line has got to function you, because if it doesn't, your wing backs are then not able to get into the game because the ball exactly. isn't sticking to anybody. Nobody's being able to overlap. So then you're just trying to hit longish diagonals. It doesn't work. It looks messy. It looks nasty. The crowd are far too quick, in my opinion, to turn on a backwards ball or, or to kind of groan at a sideways ball. There's one or two people around me get really agitated. I've got no problem with us playing it across the back line if there's some form of outlet. And it's not always going to work, but there's got to be a forward ball. There's got to be something. I I know we, we may differ slightly on this. I really don't like Ali Smith playing on the top line. I like Ali Smith playing. I think he's a neat and tidy player. I think he's got a nice, um, a nice shot on him. Uh, it would be lovely if he could keep that shot down from three yards out. That would That would be ideal because if he puts that chance away, it's 1-0 Lincoln. And I don't think Paul Bell will get back into that. Yeah, I either. think we settle then. I think if we go a goal, yeah. like we settle really well in that game. And yeah, I think that's a good point on Ali Smith. Because um, I do agree. I don't like him in the top line. Um, but I don't think that's his position. But No, it's not. Like we, like, like we said, in regards to team selection today, there was other options. But in the last few weeks, that hasn't been. Um, no, no, I grant, you know, I grant He's I'm... the only player, and I didn't know this until yesterday, Joe, who I sit with, uh, mentioned. Ali Smith is the only player in our squad that's, that's made um, an appearance in every single match so far this season. As he would be apparently from the bench. Yeah, I, did, I, okay. I haven't, I haven't fact checked it, but I, I, I believe no. him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's certainly better, um, slightly deeper and, and certainly more central. And the run that he made, oh, oh you missed it. That's, There's no denying that. But the run from deep, that's what he's good at. That's, that's the point. That's but if he's already up there, he can't make the late run. Yeah, because he's the target. What, what I do would say is he had to be in that position to miss it. And we're going all the way back to King Cowley. That whenever you talk to Danny Cowley, he had no problem with players missing chances. He had problems with players not being in position, positions to create chances. We had four efforts in the first half, only one on target. Um, Port Vale had four efforts, only three on target. So we weren't battered. What people are looking at is, is it's not even negativity. I don't think we played negatively. I just think... And I'm not. I don't want to be, look like I'm criticising Tom Shaw. He knows his job better than me, and he's done a great job as caretaker. I just felt like we were set up wrong for that game. I really did because Port Vale didn't come to defend. Port Vale came to 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 have a go to take something from the game. Mm-hmm. Respect to them for that. They would like you say they were better than we thought because we thought well they've lost so many games on the run they're going to come here and they're just going to do a bank of four or a bank of five or or they're three five two with two holes and they're going to shot up shot. And they didn't. And they've got tidy players. Arblast. Is it Arblaster? Yes, we're not. The, uh, yeah, the lad from Sheffield United. Oh, yeah, I liked him. And he he stuck out for me um, in the first half. Every time he got on the ball, he was the one that worried us. And I think they were able to attack with a little more pace. There was one time where they got the ball in the middle of the park. And I'm looking to see what options they've got. 
and they've got a line of four in our area, like two wide players, the big chunk of meat up from who was at Hearts, um, Ik Piazza, or yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, he's not a player he's I've ever rated, but he's a handful. I, you know what? I have rated him. I thought he was really good. Um, yeah. A few years ago, yeah, I just I like a well, target man. Cambridge, I like Cambridge for a while, Wickham as well. Um, yeah, I, I just like having that option um, that you can play into. Just quickly on the team selection again, that's probably a point I should have made earlier. When I looked at the team selection, I thought we'd gone, and I actually think in hindsight it, this could have helped. You know, ultimately, what do I know? When we played against Morecambe, albeit poor result, but for the first part of that game, we were brilliant. We 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 laid the Holly touched the ball, we played a back four, and we played. Uh, but the, the downside was we had. We had Danny Mandri- we had positional play, and Danny Mandri was being kept in, on the left wing, um, almost with that mentality, stay there, like Man City play. The ball will come to you if you create the space, rather than go and find the ball, the ball will come to you. I think that limited Mandri- Um, But we had Burroughs playing at left back in a four, and then tucking into midfield to create a three when we uh, were in possession. And I thought the lineup was there. Oh, well, that suits TJ. He could play right back in a four, kind of out of possession. But in possession, we have him, uh, Jackson and O'Connor. That then allows um, Burroughs to tuck into central midfield, alongside Erehun and Hamilton. Last Hamilton's push on. Last on the top line up front with Smith and Adelican kind of rotating. And then it gives Duffy the nat- natural width on the left-hand side, to, who wants to be touchline wide and, 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 and not the ball in from that, deep, that that kind of wider area. I thought that's how we were going to set up with the team selection. That, that's how I read it. So it was very surprising to see that we kind of were basically just in our traditional 3-4-3 for the majority of the first half, did change to a three-five-two for sort of fifteen minutes towards the end, not to, to no avail. Um, but I agree, Tom Shaw's done a really good job. Um, we can't deny Tom Shaw how, how well, how, how much he's kind of steadied the ship and, and, and been a, a good kind of captain, I suppose, of that ship for the last few weeks. I think I read on one of your articles that he's been as the what, one of the highest kind of win percentages at of any manager that we've had, one of the highest, yeah. and he's been by far the best caretaker that we've had. So let's not forget he's a caretaker manager. But I agree. I felt like first half, maybe team selection slash um, shape maybe wasn't the most effective. But then half time happens. And some of the changes that were made later in the half, I thought he got right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure so we're going to move on to that now. Cover very, very quickly, obviously, their goal. I don't think there was any blame particularly to a portion. I thought it was just a good counter-attacking goal. If yes. anything, Burroughs has got done, I think, a little bit. Hamilton's could have maybe been stronger in the tackle. But do you know what? It's not a goal like we've, we've conceded in the last few weeks where you can go, that's poor or this is poor. Yeah, it, it wasn't a soft goal. It was just no. a well... They they scored a good goal, you know? Yeah. It's not like Hamilton backed out of attack. He went into tackle, he got his foot in, and it, it went, you know, their player came out with the ball there, kind of those 50-50s. And then from there, they, they executed the move really well. Good finish, good goal. You kind of go, well, they, they kind of deserve that on the first half. And and so it was. So to go into the second half, obviously nothing changed for a start. So mm-hmm. um, we can't really discuss anything there. We've got to really just go straight into the red cards. Now, first yeah. of all... I've watched back their yellow card in the first half. Um, now, I missed it at the time because I was going to the loo. Um, people don't need to know that, but I was. And a we only, by the way. I don't go for anything else. I then go into a cubicle at the football in case somebody thinks that I'm on the old Columbia marching powder, which, you know, absolutely not me, but I'm sure some people are. Anyway, um, so that's what I was doing. Uh, and while I was doing that, Ollie Arbuster was, um, in my opinion, elbowing Ethel Hamilton in the face, which I actually think the referee made the right decision with a yellow card. 
But looking at the back, a harsher referee could potentially have seen that as different. There's no argument over his first yellow, though. No, so I think then... by the letter of the law, it's probably a red. It's an elbow in, a, in, in the head. Like, doesn't like in the Premier League, if that goes to VAR, it's a red card. Because it doesn't you know, matter think... how how, lit, how little contact you make, it's you get sent off for it. But uh, you know, in the context of the game, in in real time, yeah, yellow card. But ultimately, the guy was on a yellow card by the time yeah. the second half came that's, around, which is the main point, isn't it? That's the point. I mean, to be fair, the ref stood right in front of it as well, and in the player's defence, he's watching the ball all the time as he's gone up, so it's a flailing yeah, arm fair. rather than a deliberate yeah, elbow. So good point. I'll give him that. And we, and we absolutely don't in... want VAR in League One, so no, we'll allow it. No, no, no. <laughs> um, and then he puts in really... When you're on a yellow card, it's a bit of a silly tackle. And it, it threw me... They, it reminded me of Sammy Robinson for them last season because he did exactly the same thing, didn't he? He was on a yellow card and he, a, a silly tackle kind of cost them another player. And they had two sent off, if I remember, didn't they, last yeah. season? Did we have one and they had two? Did we have Ben Owl sent off? I remember it was a, a mad game. It was nine v ten, wasn't it? But so there's no argument, really. I think is the with with their red card. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, bit of a silly challenge from him, and it really put them under the cosh then, didn't it? That's like mentality wise. Yeah. Uh, and Joe actually said to me, uh, the guy I sat next to said to me, at that moment, well, that's them going to just sit four four one now for the next 50, 45 40 minutes or so, and it's going to be really really difficult to break down. Um, and he wasn't far wrong, to be honest, but I think there's more, there's a bit more nuance to it than that, I think. Uh, but ultimately, that put them in, let's see it out mentality. Now, we're a goal up, we're a man down, and there was a real shift in their mentality. There was a lot more time wasting, there's a lot more uh, of those game management tactics, which we've all well, been, you know, we've all been part of in before, and it just is what it is. They did everything they should have in the, in the situation they was in. You say that. But they didn't really have that long to have that kind of mentality before things were evened up either. I mean, it happened but they very, had very it quickly after they had it after as well. as well. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, obviously, before that, there's this there's this whole thing where I thought that we would. I think if we hadn't had Cordy sent off, I think we go on and win the game three one. I agree. Something like that. I, I agree. Because we win. Yeah. We suddenly look lively. Ali Smith had his effort tipped over. There was lots of space. Yeah, we were going to bring Mandroyo on. I felt that that was probably going to be for one of the centre halves, and we were going to go. I did. That, I thought, it'd be, and... I thought it'd be, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah, and maybe it was until, and yeah, agreed until um, O'Connor got sent off. Of but we can't discuss O'Connor sending off, can we? Because we hadn't seen it. Yeah, and I think that's the main point. There's been a lot of. Uh, I suppose the initial thought is, "Oh, that's stupid." You know, why has he done this? You know, lack of leadership, poor decision. We have no idea what he's done. We haven't seen no. it. None of us saw it. Almost no one in the ground saw it, bar the fourth official. Now, I need to read up on the rules here. Um, I've kind of got two mentalities with this. Um, there's like my Lincoln City roasting in glasses mentality, which is, oh, he's been hardly hard, hard done by here. And then there's the objective kind of correct thing for football. Because I didn't think the fourth official was allowed to get involved with on-field decisions. Now, I think it changed. Fair enough, if that's the case. Now, even... If it turns out that he has elbowed and he has done something that's silly and that was then the right decision on the pitch and if that's the general rule of thumb for football in general and it means that the fourth official can almost help the referee and support him making correct decisions, then that's only a good thing. But for us yesterday, I felt that was a little bit... Um, I just, just didn't just didn't know where it came from. No, no one saw it. There was no real reaction, was there, in, in the ground apart from, from um, Uche Piazu? 
so we was all just a little bit left a little dumbfounded at the time. Uh, it says here the fourth officially simply instructed to assist the referee at all times, and the duties are largely at the discretion of the referee. Um, the assist, I mean, I suppose it's only like if a lino sees something that the ref doesn't and he flags and the lino tells him something's happened. Yeah. I, I, I was of the opinion that the linos were that was part of their role. I didn't think it was for the fourth official, but I'm clearly wrong there. So, so that's that, that's that. I was wrong and he was right to, to point it out if he's seen something. But like you say, we can't, we can't comment. We didn't see it. And there's no, there's nothing on iFollow, there's nothing on, um, and why scout it wasn't on a camera because it was off the ball. So we've no idea. I'm just actually having a look um, through the, uh, the 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 rules, but it doesn't actually say what what they can and can't. Look, at the end of the day, they 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 made the decision, and if something's happened, there's going to be no complaint about it at all. Yeah. And and I think it wasn't it a fourth official last season that got involved in sending off their boy that was then overturned. It was Carl Rushworth, by the way, sent off against Port Vale last season, wasn't it? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so uh, it it is it is what it is. You know, I, I wonder how you can make four separate substitutions when none of them seem to be yeah, head that injuries. Was that was very interesting. Yeah, because when Shadibo came on, um, we were kind of thinking, "Are we allowed to do this? Why are we allowed to yeah. do this?" I mean, we, we, I was happy we were allowed to do it, but I just didn't think we were. But we'd already had three suffrages by that point. Um, we hadn't had anybody. I didn't think we'd had anybody go down and have treatment for a head injury. I know they did. Their player, who I think handled the ball in the area and went down yes. holding his head. But yeah, to agree. be fair, he then he was then substituted. Then so, yes, yeah. So maybe, yeah. So maybe we were. Up. But that was that was my initial thought, though. Is that no? I know he's. I know what he's playing at here. Yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> pretending he's been hitting the head to make it look like he hasn't handled it where he's actually handled it. But it, yeah, he went off a minute or two later. So maybe we were a little wrong so, there. So look, that was it. The second half was then better. Obviously, as you say, they they started time wasting. They started indulging in the dark arts. I thought the game maybe got away from the referee just a little bit, but you know he allowed the time wasting, but he added the time on. And it's easy when you're angry or when you're upset. It's easy to see things differently. There was the Jack Vale incident. It's a foul, but at the time and after in the pub afterwards, you and I said red card penalty. Whereas actually, when you look at it, it's probably outside the area and yeah, it's away from it goal would, as well. It so it would be a yellow card if it yellow was card and a free foul. kick. But it's, yeah. it's definitely a foul though. Either way, yeah. it's a foul. Um, the um, one there was one from the referee that really angered me in the second half, and it, it wasn't even like an opportunity. Yeah. So I can't remember who it was, but someone got pulled back, blatantly pulled Adelican. back. Delican got pulled back, um, and you know that's fine. That's from a Port Vale perspective, it stops a counter attack. You understand why he's done it. You take a yellow card, you get behind the ball, you set yourself up. And we were, we were, we wanted to take a quick um, a quick free kick. It was one of the rare opportunities that that where Port Vale were slightly out of shape at that point. So it was like, oh, get the ball down and play. And the ref physically stopped us to make us to slow down. Said, no, I need to just sort this out. You've got to wait and for for us to kind of uh, for him to, for him to say go basically. Um, and you think, well, that's frustrating, but he's obviously going to book him. So as much as it's annoying, at least he's going to get a yellow card. And they didn't book him. So it's like exactly exactly the outcome that the Port Vale player wanted. Stops the game, gets a free kick. He was happy with the yellow card of that situation as well. Didn't even get one. They got back in shape, got behind the ball. Our counter attack opportunity was dead, and that was that really annoyed me. It's like that's 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 crap refereeing. That is, um, and I, I agree. It's easy to get annoyed at the ref because you don't want to get annoyed at the players and you, you don't want to get annoyed at the situation. So you, you, you direct it somewhere, and it generally goes to the referee. I know I'm absolutely guilty of that. 
but it just bloody annoyed me because that was it was on those kind of counter attack situations, those situations where we could finally create a little bit of space because Port Vale defended the center of the pitch and deep for the second half, and they did it well. They are, they are, they were really good out of possession. They they had good shapes. They had better shape with ten men than they did with eleven actually defensively, um, and that made it really difficult for us to break down. Which meant we had to use the width of the pitch. We couldn't just lump the ball forward into into their their kind of double four block. We had to go around the sides and try and be cute with it. We haven't got that ready to bring on to just launch it into the box. We had to go around the outside. But I felt we actually did it reasonably well. We got into some really dangerous positions quite a lot in the second half. Um, I think one reason for that as well was Tom Shaw made some really good decisions substitute-wise and tactic-wise uh, in the second half. The decision to put Dylan Dully left back in a four, uh, and but almost of making play as a winger with last, like almost defending as a two, really. It's more like a back two than a back four, but in possession, um, Duffy was was really high and wide. Last is really high and wide, stretching the pitch, uh, allowed Danny to get uh, Mandrew to go and find those little pockets. And he tried to make things happen. I thought Danny Mandrew did well when he came on. I think every kind of tool we had, every available kind of strategy that we had available to us um, that Tom Shaw had on the bench, I think he he did the best with the situation in the second half. And I do feel we got what we deserved. A point. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Sorry, I was just actually, while you were doing that, I was just watching the fouls back on my scout because I wondered if it was Ben Garrity who had committed the second foul, but it wasn't. But Garrity actually got booked for pulling down one of our players Uh and Devi, it was Alfie Devine who got away with doing it as well. So, mm. but no, I agree. I thought Tom Shaw, he, he kept changing things. He did, you know, he, effectively, you and I took the mick. Well, I certainly took the, the mick out of Ben uh, a while back for um, saying how playing wing backs in a back four leaves you open because obviously he'd misunderstood something that was said on Radio Lincolnshire, but um, we still took the mick anyway. Uh, but actually, that's exactly what we did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, 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 and <laughs> and it, it's easy to be critical when the when when we're not playing particularly well, and it's easy to be critical when things aren't go going going right. But I think also you have to look in those moments at what we're trying to do. If if we'd been a little bit more proactive, sixty to seventy minutes, or, or I think that we win the game. But it, it felt like we didn't quite find the sweet spot until there was fifteen minutes left, and then we we went. I always felt we'd score from seventy minutes. It was just something we were in complete control. We had some really good possession um, in, in in the second period, and I, I I didn't then get the negativity. It's like you go back to that recency bias. I kind of think, well, actually, we you'd come away thinking that we'd been really positive. I mean, our, our possession. I was just going to try and um, have a look. I think it was something like fifty eight percent in the second half. I think it was um, more than that. We'd had, yeah, was it 58% overall? Overall, yeah, 70% in the second half. Uh, yeah, 60, well, it says 66 on Wisecats. So yeah, 66, 70%. Uh, XG of 0 0.92, seven shots, two on target. They had two, one on target. I'd, we Without being good, we were by far the better team in the second half. Yeah, I agree. And um, it's very easy to, to just look at things through Lincoln City spectacles, isn't it? Because we're Lincoln fans, of course you do. When you're looking at a game, you look at it from your team's perspective. And we're a goal down. We weren't brilliant in the first half. And yeah, we're, we're dominating the second half. You know, different people have different perceptions of what dominating means. But for me, it's territory possession and, and getting into parts of the pitch where you could create a chance. And of course, the, 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 the final piece of Jigsaw is creating the chance of putting the ball in the net. But I thought we dominated it. But I think what I'd like to just suggest is imagine you're a Port Vale fan and watch the second half through their eyes. They would be 
bricking it. You know, you're you're going mm. in a position where you you you've, you've had what three attacks in the whole game, one shot in the second half, you could say, uh, or two shots maybe, one on target. Uh, it was a good chance actually, in fairness, but you know, for for the vast majority of that second half, they were properly under the cosh. Like I said, it wasn't shot after shot after shot, but it was dangerous territory, dangerous areas, and it would only take a small slip, a rash decision, uh, a lapse of concentration to create an opportunity. If I was a Port Vale fan, I am on the edge of my seat, bricking it for forty minutes. And if you obviously you're a goal, you're a goal ahead, you're a man down, albeit again, you know it's two two banks of ten to, uh, ten players, but ultimately you're a man down away from home. You want to see it out, but you're nervous. From a Port Vale perspective, I reckon it would have felt a little bit like to them, like it did from our perspective away at Derby last year. Mm. Just it was, far it was less that, chances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Derby had that many on target, yeah. did they? No, they didn't have yeah. too many on target. But, so. uh, but in terms of just the mentality, I think if you was a Port Vale fan, you're terrified for the majority of that second half because we're dominating them. Um, from a yeah. Lincoln fan, there's frustration because we couldn't get that many shots away and, and, and you know, we, were, we were trying to find the opening. But... Yeah, I think I think sometimes we can we can be a little bit overcritical because we see it purely out of from our perspective of what we I think. You know what? Part, I think part of it is despite the striker situation, which we we absolutely know has a huge impact on our attacking kind of structure. We all know the potential. I think we all know the potential in the squad. And yeah, whenever there's a perception of we're not quite hitting the heights of, for the, of the potential, there might be that might be where a little bit that's that frustration comes from. I think we've got the best okay. squad we've had for a little while, and maybe that. <clears throat> that just causes a little bit of uh, higher expectations. But I think second half, you can't complain. I really don't. No. We got what we deserved. It wasn't scintillating, but it, we were dominating. And it was, we got it, was nice, it was nice to get a round of the Shadipo song. The, the goal was actually a carbon copy of the chance that Ali Smith missed. Mm. Um, kind of a, a nice run down the left-hand side. Obviously, Jack Vale, who I thought was really lively when he came on and asked, asks questions that we haven't been asking for a few weeks. Nice finish from me day, one all in the bag. We're walking home happy with a point. I think that's fair to say. And I think yeah. any new potential manager watching on, here's the, I'm not going to say the ovation, but you know, here's the, the the noise of a, let's be honest, half empty stand because a lot of people had kind of were, were streaming out on 90 minutes. And when there's nine minutes of injury time left, that does baffle me. You know, yeah. I'll wait till it's, 98.30, knowing that there's 99 minutes just to get a, a, a drop on the traffic. But I certainly won't go nine minutes before the end. But any potential manager watching on um, just gets a little look at what they could do. And it kind of makes me think back to that whole what Dan and Nick said when they came in, wouldn't it be nice to fill this stand? The new manager might be looking at that linking. Wouldn't be nice to get that atmosphere back every week because it has slipped a little. It has, but you know what? It, don't, it won't take a lot to get... To get it back, it won't take a lot. You know, we you know, we were all critical of each other from time to time, and we're all you know we all have differing opinions. On the whole, we're a pretty good fan base. You know, we we, we all away supporters all yeah. you know always make a point of saying how welcoming the stadium is, but how good atmosphere we create. You know, we are a decent fan base, and and, and from a, a manager's perspective that has that bigger picture, that outside looking in perspective, comparing us to other clubs, probably like that Dan and Nick did all those years back, are thinking it's real potential here. And yeah, you've seen a little snippet of it then. There'll be obviously all the clips that the from from how good the fans have been over the over the last you know handful of years or so. I could have all those clips. They use those as part of their kind of um, marketing when they're signing players. And I imagine they're doing the same thing when they're trying to attract a manager. You know, it's, it's it won't take a lot. It won't take a lot. And I think what we just need now, and we, we're going to get it soon. I think we all we all kind of uh, agreement of that. We just need a little bit of direction. 
and yeah. we're not far off it now. Shall we go to an ad break? Um, we're not that. entirely sure whether there's an ad. Sometimes there are not ads. Sometimes there are foreign adverts. Sometimes it's me talking about McDonald's, but I think that that campaign is now finished. Whatever we're trying to sell you, we're going to try and do it right now. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport fan network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. So yes, we do need a little bit of direction, um, and that direction we're hoping is going to come this week. We can't give you any news right now, but it'll be the curse of the Stacey West. You may well be listening to this um, on your way home on Monday night or, or Tuesday at some point, and you already know what the new manager situation is going to be. So it's hard for us to do too much analysis on it. Um, we did just debate during the ad break whether we were going to talk about it or not. Um, and Chris said, yeah, we do need to do it. So, Chris, talk about it. Ah, Well, I'll touch on my last point, really, is that we just need a bit of direction. And, and I've seen us, you've asked um, on Twitter for some questions, uh, which we're going to um, kind of work our way through in, in a few moments. And there's some really good ones on there. And one of them um, mentions identity. And I think that's a really good point, is I think off the pitch, the club's identity is really good. I think we know what we are. We know the model, if you want to kind of put inverted commas. But ultimately... <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, we're, we're a club that, that wants to, to bring players in that can perform now and also can can then um, be sold on for a profit and then we can reinvest. We know that's the thing. But on the pitch, it's a little different because we've had an identity. Whether it is what everyone agreed with or not over the last year, we were very, very hard to beat, very, very hard to break down. Didn't create a lot, but we, were, we knew what we were. And I think Tom Shaw's come in to try and improve what we were less good at. And I think it's almost impossible to be... It's impossible to be... be kind of best in class at everything. And if you wanted to be a bit more forward thinking, trying to create a little bit more, you are undoubtedly have to open up a little bit at the back. And I think maybe because it has been three or four weeks or so now that Tom Shaw has been in charge, uh, I feel that maybe we have lost a little bit of identity on the pitch. What really are we? And I think the biggest thing that will come from um, a new manager coming in is that they'll have the opportunity to create that again. Something that we can all get behind. Because even under Mark Candy, even if you didn't like it, you knew what we were. You were less likely to get frustrated about it because you knew what we were trying to do. Um, whereas now, yeah, there's just that that's a little bit up in the air. So I think more than anything, when the new manager head coach is announced, that's what it will give us. It will give us that little bit of direction and it will help us to create that on the pitch kind of identity. In regards to who it's going to be, 
we're still kind of on the wiser, really, are we? No, it, it's silly. I mean, obviously, there's been lots of conversation. We'll mention one in a minute. I'm not, I don't want us to do any real analysis on him because if we do analysis on him and he ends up going somewhere else, as is potential, um, we're going to be wasting our time. And if we do analysis on him and he comes in, we'll be doing it anyway. So, but I do, I kind of, are you happy if I morph this into a couple of questions? Because I Absolutely. do think that actually it, it, it strands over and I'll, I'll pick up on um, the answer, my, my opinion, first of all. So Chris Gooding, first of all, um, has said, would an appointment, for example, like Des Buckingham, which is who we're alluding to, favourite for our job, also favourite for the Oxford job. Um, so, you know, Big, big potential there. Would an appointment, for example, like Des Buckingham contradict our recruitment in the summer? And that also feeds into Andy Pearson's question. Um, are we satisfied what our identity, identity is? As I am confused, I can't say the emojis and Angie, uh, Angie Andy can't um, tweet without pictures. So <laughs> you'll have to imagine there's an emoji there. Obviously, it's an Andy tweet. The model developing player, players, head coach, etc. as half the players are not comfortable on the ball emoji so the new boss has his work cut out emoji um i i i'm on the bus with andy on saturday so i'm not i'm not going to um be overly critical i strongly disagree with half the players not being comfortable on the ball um i'm not sure which players we're alluding to there i mean we may be talking about potentially I don't know are we talking about him not being comfortable on the ball I mean Adam Jackson was already here TJ was already here Lass was already here and they're all part of the in the identity Ethan Hamilton is is absolutely comfortable on the ball Dylan Duffy is comfortable on the ball Hacks is not somebody who's going to be permanent Ali Smith is 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 good in possession he's neat in possession I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sure and Andy I'm happy we'll have a chat about it on Saturday come and um, you know buy me a beer um and we'll We'll chat about which players are not comfortable on the ball because I disagree with it. And I also uh, a little bit um, just going on on what Chris picked up said, would it contradict our recruitment in the summer? I don't think so. I don't think our recruitment in the summer um, was was bad at all. I mean, Rico, you know, really good on the ball, great in possession. Tyler Walker, you know, not everybody has to be. You know, he's, he's comfortable on the ball. He's not a ball player, but he's the focal point. He's, he's, he's the attack. And Jack Burrows, who, who brought in on loan and Jack... Jaden Brown, I don't think. Is there a perception that we have signed players who you know, are just like meatheads or something? I, I, I'm not sure what this lack of identity is. I can understand how we're seeing a lack of identity on the field at the moment in an interim period where yesterday we started without our five leading attackers on the field. I can understand how that looks confused. But I don't I don't see a lack of identity. and I, I, Not for me. Is my answer to those questions not for me? Um, I think there's two parts to it. I think there's the in regards to the identity, I touched on it earlier. There's the off the pitch identity of what the club is, and then there's the on the pitch identity of how we play. And off the pitch, I don't think our identity has changed at all. I think it's really impressive. I think, and, and there's a lot of those kind of um metrics and, and, and measurements that are kind of put out by, by different organizations that measure things like how well is the club run, how well do they develop talent the academy is going from strength to strength for example it's ridiculous um the difference in the academy in the last five years like unbelievable how different it is so i think the off the pitch the model if you like if you want to call it that but just the identity that we have off the pitch who are we who is lincoln city i don't think that's changed at all the the, the, the 
the benefit of the structures that we have now is that we can now hire a, a new head coach to fit into that identity rather than having to just rip up everything and start afresh because we've got a new manager in. But on the pitch, I do get that. I completely understand where Andy's coming from. And I do think we, we need that a little bit because we knew what we were when we were uh, under the Cowleys. We knew what we were under Mark Clafferton, which was polar opposite, but we knew what we were. And under Mark Kennedy, after he changed his mind in terms of what team sort of style we wanted after the Bristol Rovers game, we knew what we were. Um, so we just need that that back again. So I get that point in regard to we, we look in a little bit of direction, but that's why you have a head coach. That's that's what they're there. Their job is to create that. And when we have an absence in that or a vacancy in that position, then it, it's probably understandable that we're going to have a little bit of a lack of identity. And that might be where the... Um, a little bit of the frustrations coming from on in, in terms of the fan base because we're not quite sure what we are yet on the pitch but off the pitch we do in regard to the um squad i think i'm kind of with you here there's no denying that we don't we tried to add physicality to this to the team in the summer that was a weakness of us last season and we've added height we've added strength and, and athleticism into the squad but that is not necessarily at the detriment of technical ability i'll be honest under mark kennedy let's let's be kind of really brutal here we weren't set up to play a huge amount of football through the thirds. I think the Charlton game is a prime example against a really good footballing team. They are an in-possession side. We were great in possession against Charlton. The players can do it. Absolutely. Um, so I get the concern because we've added height, but, but that doesn't mean that we've, we've we've lost it, lost technical ability. They just haven't had the, you know, Tom Shaw's had three weeks to try and improve that side of the game a little bit, the in-possession stuff. The new manager is going to come in and and, and hopefully improve that a lot. Now, we mentioned Des Buckingham there. He's the one who's the favourite, and he's part of the City Football Group. So, there, of course, is a very much a a style there. You know, we're not going to play like Man City if we get him, but there's going to be elements of positional play. We're going to try and keep hold of the ball. He's going to want um, to. Because yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It, it, but it, it, are, are these it, players it, it, capable of that? Yeah, absolutely yeah, they are. Right. There are some better than others, of course, but I don't think it's a I don't think on the ball is a weakness in this squad. Definitely not. I think athleticism so, is probably our biggest... Our biggest um, attribute to be honest i think that, that you know, people like ethan hamilton kind of encapsulate that really but i certainly don't feel that we're poor on the ball no and that kind of feeds into a couple more questions where i think the answers we may have given but we'll we'll, we'll name shout anyway so um richard scrafton has said what do the club want the playing identity to be appleton to kennedy poles apart guessing the next appointment will, will be more appleton like well i I actually think when the club brought in Kennedy, they wanted more of a continuation of that kind of possession football, yep. but maybe with a little bit more penetration. And they didn't get that because Kennedy did change his approach after Bristol Rovers because I think he realised, to a degree, he probably didn't have the players at the time who could do what he wanted to do because we had a, you know, the, the lone players that we brought in were, were average, Jordan Garrick and, and, and Jack Diamond. Um he had Ben House, but we didn't have an awful lot more up front, I don't think. So, you know, he was probably more limited. Uh, and then Marcus Clayson said, and how does that work without throwing bundles of cash at it? Well, actually, I think in terms of investment, we've probably put a little bit more cash into the playing side than we already have. And I think that the appointment that we make will be geared towards getting the most out of what we have got. It's it's not going to be a, a, an over an overriding change i think it's going to be look at this squad that we've got what how do we get the best out of that and actually we've got we, we said it at the beginning of the season we've got a good talented flexible squad if a manager wants to come in and play 4-4-2 he could come in and realistically play a 4-4-2 and you can have a Hackett or a Mandroyu or a house or um, a, a Jack Bale or a Tyler Walker they could play in the two up top you've got the wingers you could feasibly play that we're not going to play 4-4-2 in my opinion don't know who's going to come in um 
I don't think we need to throw bundles of cash at the playing squad at all. I think if you're going to be putting bundles of cash out there, it's to prize away a, a head coach who's who's got a, a, a strong career path. Now, whether that's going to be the case or not, you listening in may know a little bit more than us. Um, but I assume you agree with the the whole Kennedy Appleton. Yeah, I agree with your there. point completely. You mentioned it a minute ago about the Bristol Rovers. Like we knew what we were after that. But before that, you know, Mark Cody said in his interview, he wanted to play, um, I think, aggressive attacking football. And now that that was the, that was the the headline that kind of the the uh, you know a lot of the media went with, and, and it kind of pricked the ears of the fan base up a little bit. And let's be honest, you could see what he was trying in the first few games, but we were, we were but we were massively open, and he changed it, and yeah, he improved us without possession. There's no denying that we were hard to beat and. Being hard to beat gave us the league finish that we had last season, which was probably above the level of the squad. But I think now the squad's in a really good position. And let's not forget we've got Jack Moylan coming in in January as well, who's just, yeah. you know, he's he was top goal scorer in the uh, Irish Premier League. Not playing up front. <laughs> he's not a striker. He's a, he's, a, he's a wide forward, generally speaking, or plays in behind. He's a, that's another kind of player that can, who's quite flexible, that can play up in a two, could play wide in a four, could play wide in a three. So, yeah, I think it's more a case of how do we extract the best out of what we have currently rather than having to rip everything up and start again. I think I think the club's transfer policy is a lot more, um, what's the right word here? It's a lot more just focused and kind of and connected, I think, than, than, than just 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 kind of what one manager wants. It's, it's more about that, that bigger structure. Just on that, actually, um, we're I allowed to go. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I was going to make a point about Jack Moylan, but go on, you... you, you... Um, well, it was just, I've seen recently advertised, the club advertised about an evening with Jazz to, to discuss openly to fans about how, um, how the just basically how the club operate transfers, just give a little bit of a deeper insight into that side of things. Now, go on. Um, I was, yeah, I was yeah, really fortunate on. to experience that um, a few weeks ago, and it was unbelievably outstanding. The club were great, and... I understand some of the criticism Jet gets, and you have you don't want you don't want to criticise the players, you don't really want to criticise the manager, so you, you, you direct it to someone who you don't have that connection with. So I understand from some fans why why people think what does he do? Honestly, I've rarely been impressed by an individual in my life. Like I was impressed with Jess George that night. It was it was brilliant. We it started at seven o'clock. It was going to be an hour. We didn't leave till half past eleven. It was absolutely fascinating. It was brilliant. And if anyone has seen that and you have the opportunity to go on it, do it. It will open your eyes massively and it will just give you such an insight as to what happens behind the scenes and it will massively improve um, your your understanding of that. And just gives you a more informed opinion then as, as terms of what's what's happening on the pitch and, and around the, the team. So I thought it was worth pointing out. The sort of people that are readily ha- are happy to criticise Judge George are the sort of people that won't pay £20 to go and listen to him talk. And that's, that's the sad thing. Um, people distrust suits and ties that are not a manager or a chairman. And that's why there was there's often anti-Liam or anti-Jez stuff on um, anti-Jez uh, on social media. It sounds like it sounds like a bizarre anti-uncle situation, isn't it? Um, Jack Moylan has actually been playing centre forward for Shelbourne all season. And he is a wide forward predominantly, but yeah, he's been playing predominant. Uh, he's been playing as a as a centre forward or attacking midfield. He played left wing once, uh, and that was back in May. Anyway, a couple more questions. We'll make the so this one a little bit quick fire. I think a couple of them. Um, so this is from Lewis Waters. He says, "How much, if any, of a say 
do you think Landon Donovan could have had in assisting the recruitment of a new manager? Not necessarily just America, but he has connections all over the world. Barnsley appointed Neil Collins from Tampa Bay. Maybe we could take a similar approach. My thought here is um, he will have, in terms of having input, he will have had an opinion. I don't think that he's going to be somebody who will be rubber stamping a deal or anything like that. You know, they're bound to get as much of the board are bound to get a, a, an overriding opinion from as many people who are involved as possible. And he's, you know, he's, he's invested in the club. He's obviously you know, a, a worldwide figure, but I don't think that we'll say that Landon Donovan will have played a key role in a new manager coming on board. However, you know, if he, for, for, for instance, there's Buckingham, who's connected to the City Group, who own New York Red Bulls, who play in America, you can always make tenuous links, just like we made tenuous links to Damien Duff, who was managing Shelbourne, and we would bought Jack Moylan. So that you can always do that. But I just think that as a, what is Landon's title? Strategic advisor or something like that? I yeah. not, can't really remember. Well, the bounce have spoken to him because they'd be foolish not to, wouldn't they, the board? Yeah, I think... You know, we know that the board have succession plans all the time. So as soon as we hire a new head coach, there'll be work going on behind the scenes about who we're going to keep an eye on that might replace them. That's that's how good organisations work. And, and Clive has mentioned time and time again that that's how they they that's how they work. They do that for every position in the club, on and off the pitch, and that's intelligent. So I imagine Landon is very much consulted as part of that discussion in terms of who might we want to keep an eye on, who's up and coming, who's impressing currently in his area of expertise in regards to the kind of rubber stamping or having any real involvement in the hiring of our new head coach bar that, I think it's probably quite minimal, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Thing of Landon's role is very much to be give us a, a deeper understanding of what's happening in his area of expertise in and around where he lives and works. Um, and it's good to be associated with the name of Landon Donovan, but I don't think he has much in regard to hands on at no. the moment. He'll be more of a, a name that people, if we, we're looking to attract somebody of worldwide reputation, and, and we're kind of talking about Des Buckingham again, but potentially mm. an Ian Foster who's in Saudi Arabia or potentially somebody from abroad, whether there's anybody in America. And if we if we appointed an American, my Lord, I think, well, I think social media would go into meltdown, but he's more of a... Uh, an asset for the football club rather than somebody who we're going to use as an opinion, I think. Yeah, so, agreed. A um, couple more questions. Uh, these could be relatively quick. This one from Richard Cross. Do you think Hacks has shown in the last couple of games why Mark Kennedy didn't want him? Hmm. Oh, this is going to feel really harsh. Um, I can certainly see why there's a bit of a Marmite feel when he's good, he's great. When he's not good, he's not good at all. And uh, I think he needs to be, he'll fit into a particular system and a style really well, and he, he won't fit into others. Some people are a lot more adaptable, not necessarily position on the pitch, but style and structure. Yeah. For me, um, I think with the ball at his feet, Hacks is really good. I think his off-the-ball stuff is maybe where he needs to improve a little bit. And when we have such a, such a robust structure off the ball like we had under Mark Kennedy, I don't think Hax's tactical discipline maybe lent itself to that. Playing up in that kind of free role, all he's got to do is know how to press a centre-half. Does he run one way or the other? Does he sit off? You know, it's very, very simple instructions. That's much easier than playing out wide and, you know, do you track a full-back, do you track a wing-back? Do you, do you tuck inside at certain situations or not? It can get more complex. So, you know, to be short answer, 
Yeah, I suppose is is probably the, the, the short answer. Quick fire, yeah. but you know, there's no such thing. Yeah, but it's not as it's not as it's not as simple as just a yes or no because yes just sounds like that means he's shit then, and he's not. He's got his he's got his value definitely. But I think there's. I think I should have that now. If we, if I think that Chris is overrun on a question, <laughs> I'm going to play the Pina Coladas. Sorry, Chris, I have to cut you off there. Uh, <laughs> You're not sorry. Don't say sorry if you don't mean it. You're not sorry, sorry at all. I'm not sorry. I'm just sorry that I can't smell my bratwurst cooking. I'm, I'm hoping that, that we are in bratwurst. Um, uh, should we try and offload Teddy Bishop in January? Always injured, no doubt a talent, but very much in the Joe Walsh mould. My answer to that is no, because... If we need to offload him, we can do so in August, uh, in, in June or July in the summer when I think his contract's up. Um, but I think that Ted is a massive benefit to the club from the bench. And I don't see any real benefit in trying to get rid of him six months early. If we're going to be pushing, hopefully, hopefully, we could be pushing for a top six place. Why get rid of a player that you've got under contract who you know can come on and make a difference as long as we're not relying on him? I get the injury issues. I don't think he'll get a new contract in the summer, um, personally, but I don't think he's somebody that we should be actively looking to offload. Uh, that's from Tim Day, by the way, that question. Um, am I allowed to say more than yes or no? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, well, I you've think... got a face on now. <laughs> oh, no, you know, it's all right. The screen had frozen. <laughs> oh, I was smiling. It's all good. No, um, the screen had frozen. Um, I was like, bloody hell. Uh, sorry, go on. Um, I think if it's a way of reinvesting his wages into a like-for-like replacement who's probably got a bit more robustness but it's the same profile of player yeah um that might be something that the club are looking to do i don't know if it's something active that will just try and get rid of him um but if we can utilize his wages and 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 yeah in a, in a positive way but i think it needs to be a like-for-like replacement because ted is a very specific profile of player we don't have another player that that does what he does, I don't think, you know, um, think of like a midfield. If Imagine we're going to play a midfield three. You've got Erehan, who's quite quite obviously the best holding midfielder. You've got um, Hamilton, who's quite obviously the best box-to-box and kind of um, those drives from deep midfielder. You've got Ali Smith, that can, that can, that can maybe do a box-to-box role, but more that more attack-minded. You haven't got someone that can carry the ball um, like Ted has, that can find a pass like Ted has, that, 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 that drives with the ball uh, like Ted does from deep. I can feel myself getting quite annoyed at that in the next coming weeks. <laughs> that happens. So, yes, if we can reinvest the money into someone that does the same thing as Ted, but better or more regularly. So, so that's my that's my input there. Next. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, these are quick fire ones now. Let's see where we are. These are. Uh, so we're just looking for names for this one. This is from you. Look pissed off now. Uh, this is from Pete Summers. Uh, when players are fit and signings made, who could leave on loan in January? I will say Joven could leave potentially leave on loan in January. Um, I'll probably stop there. I think Joven likely to leave yeah. on loan. That's it. I mean, just Joven. No. Unless you sure? could bring someone else in and then we need to get someone minutes. But yeah, Joven for me is the only one really that needs, needs that running in a first team environment. Uh, Adam Bull, I know that FC St. Pauli is your German team. Do you have a Spanish one? Uh, I do not. I do. Real Vallecano. Why? Pretty much the same reason. That's you can answer like. it. You, 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 you can. You can answer. Uh, it I like what they stand for. I like what they stand for. It's similar. Similar kind of ethos to what St. Pauli stand for. 
Fair enough. Ash Hyde says ham or cheese. Ham. In what context do we think that is? What just on its own in a sandwich? I think well, if I was to eat either either on their own, yeah, ham wins over cheese for me, definitely. I, I do. I used to have ham, cheese, and ketchup. Just in a sandwich, not on its own, just in a sandwich. Oh, I think the ketchup might. I'm not sure I can agree with the ketchup part of that. We've got a. I thought we had another quick fire song. Would you start Walker as soon as he becomes match fit? No. Yes, is my answer. Define, I suppose it, it depends what match fit is. Is yeah. I mean, is, as soon as he's able to be part of the match, the match day squad, or as soon as he's able to play ninety minutes. Yeah, no, I'm I'm talking ninety minutes because at the minute it's a better option than starting. I think with... it depends on how Jack Vale settles. I want Jack Vale to be playing up front every game between now and when uh, Tyler yeah. Walker is match fit, and then it depends on how he's doing, which will dictate the decision at that point. Is it time for cheese and onion cobs to return to the ground? <laughs> I don't think I can remember cheese and onion cobs in the ground. I don't think I can. I'm not a big one of eating onion, if I'm honest. I, you know I, what? I, I, made know. A, I made a bloody awful decision food-wise on Saturday. Oh, I you had a hot dog? Yeah, he had a hot dog from the, the nice place before the game in the fan zone. It was really good. I wasn't that hungry. Got into the ground, got to half time. I was bloody starving. Absolutely starving. And um, last week, Morecambe game, I went, I, I wanted to treat myself to a a crap pie because I'm a sucker for punishment, but I wanted something warm and I didn't have, I queued all the way up and there wasn't any hot food. I was very annoyed, but I thought, do I really risk this or not? And I decided, fine, I'll get some hot food and I asked for a hot dog. It's, they are fucking dreadful, aren't they? They really, yeah. really are. I don't like to criticize too much, but they are bloody rubbish. Bums and eyelid hot dog. Yeah. Too expensive. The problem you've got in the club's defense is there's no food prep area there. Oh no, it's not the club's fault. Like, it's you know, yeah, yeah. I understand. I understand why it is what it is. I was annoyed yeah, but... myself because I should have had a nice hot dog like when Joe. Had yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the in the fan zone, and I mm -hmm. I haven't eaten food from the ground probably since the first second week that Elio were there because I I'd, I'd, I'd mm -hmm. stopped under double M and I had an Elio burger and it's like well it's exactly the same because all they can do is bring it in and heat it up in the in the yeah. in the tubs. I did have a pie once. And some, do you know what? Do you know what the worst thing is? They do like a curry pie or something, don't they? Oh, yeah, they're balty. And yeah, it smells phenomenal. The guy in front of me has one. And it smells phenomenal, but I can't eat one because it tastes much worse. I So this this one um, on Saturday was the first time I'd had anything to eat for ages. But the last one I had was a balty pie. It was all right, actually. You know, when, you, when you're freezing cold, you want something to warm you up, have a curry pie. It's not much better. It's proper football, isn't it? A balty pie. Yeah, so even though it's yeah, only pucker and it's been reheated, it's it's probably the best option out of the rest of the things that are there. But yeah, just gets away from the fan zone is uh, yeah. a, a lesson to be learned for myself going forward. I think we have done all of the questions. Uh, I'm just going to have a little look through. I mean, we've got like Liam Pissett out of the names mentioned for head coach. Who would you go for? Which, do you know what? Yeah, I don't want to kind of set myself up for disappointment here because I've, I've been very much Danny Cowley um, here. and I've understood the benefits of some other candidates, but Danny Cowley has always been my, my number one, really. And I have to admit, until the weekend, um, when Des Buckingham really shot to the top of the betting. And, you know, it's someone that we was aware of a little while ago, but not I never really seriously thought we'd be in contention for him. I thought he'd be massively unattainable for us. I, so I never really thought that was realistic. And I said on Twitter, when it looked more odds on than it does now, actually, let's be honest, that he was going to be our manager, that it would it would take a lot for me to not really 
see Danny Cowley as our number one candidate right now, not be the right person right now. And I have to admit it, of the two, Des Buckingham really, really, really impressed and, and uh, yeah, excited me, to be honest. But I still I just don't know how we could possibly attract him. It's, it shouldn't be the sort of manager that we have the ability to go for. You know, we're a little Lincoln City in our perception, aren't they? Uh, aren't right. we? And it's just... So, yeah, so for me, Buckingham is the only one that I would want ahead of Danny Cowley. Um, I think the longer it goes, I'm actually I'm actually less convinced we're going to get either of them. I don't know. I've no idea who the actual um, hire will be. None of us are, have a clue, do we? But no. yeah, for me, it's um, one of those two. I'd be delighted with either of them. Um, anyone else, I'm not. I'd need to do a bit more research into and, and, and see the benefits of others. To answer Lee's question, I'd be happy with Danny Cowley. I'd be happy with Des Buckingham. I'd be happy with Ian Foster. Um mm personally as well I, I just think once we get a head coach we can then make our judgments going forward and you know there are a lot of names I would be happy with and it's a nice situation to be in because actually when we got Mark Kennedy you know it was oh, it could be Michael Carrick could be this could be that I didn't think the candidate base was quite as strong and you know a mm. candidate base Michael Carrick wouldn't have been a good appointment for Lincoln just because he's Michael Carrick so do you know what I mean and an Ian Foster who people might not know or a Des Buckingham Buckingham, who people might not know, are not bad appointments because you haven't been able to get them on Football Manager or something like that. So, and we've managed to do an hour and five minutes without a, a game to preview, which is really good. But we do still have another question. It's from John Cousins Booth. You're not allowed to say Sam Pauli for this. Um, if, if you could pick an away preseason friendly for Lincoln against any current full strength 11 in the world, who would it be? Oh, he put me on a spot there. I know he's popped up. This is preseason friendly, so it's more about who do you want to play against, who do you want to test yourself. Yeah, yeah. Where do you want to go? Where, where do the fans want to go? Yeah, where would I want to go on holiday? Is basically yeah. what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to play against Ostuni 1945 from Italy because I really like Ostuni, um, and they're I think they're a Serie C team or something like that. A anybody in Italy? I'd like Bari because I quite like Bari. I'm going to say Siena. Okay. Let's say Siena. I'm going to say Olympia Ljubljana because Ljubljana That's is on my bucket list. I really, really want to go there. I want to go to Slovenia. I want to go to Lake Bled. I want to go to what is known as the Mini Prague. Um, and it's a good excuse to do that, isn't it? So there, that's yeah. my answer. That's our next football trip. Olympia Ljubljana. Yeah. Fantastic. Or were you planning on taking Steph there? Well, she came with me to watch a fifth division German game when we went to Berlin on a nice romantic <laughs> trip, didn't she? So, you know, she'd probably tag along to a top top black game in, in, in Slovenia as well. <laughs> uh, so, one hour, seven minutes. We've talked football. We've taken questions. We've also had a little bit of this. I make a promise to Chris that I'll delete that now. Is <laughs> it to cut him off anymore? While he's... <laughs> it was funny, though. It was funny. We have been the Stacey West Podcast. As always, we have been superb. Doubtless that you have as well. My name's Gary. His name's Chris. We're going to be back with you. Not this week, I don't think. I think it's Chris and Ben on Wednesday. Mm. And You're thinking... recording a day early this week as well. Just me because you of next schedules. Sunday. Is it um, me and you next Sunday, I think? It's my birthday next Sunday. And I know isn't it? Sure I know. I, I'm definitely on the road to for next Sunday. I didn't know it was yeah. birthday, though. I definitely am as well. Oh, so that's that. Look, You'll be listening to us next Sunday. You'll be listening to Chris and Ben in midweek. Other than that, have a very good week off. We shall see you all soon. Up the imps. Up the imps.
It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.